Hello to all listeners. Welcome back to Animist Activist Podcast, where we discuss Earth-based spirituality through a liberatory lens. Or perhaps it's vice versa. We explore liberation of all beings as it is intrinsically bound to Earth, magic, spirit. Both and. It's both and. I am your host, Bree, situated in collaboration with the lands ancestral to the Salagi-speaking people, commonly known in modern English as the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. I'm coming to you in the spirit of love, in opposition to control, in collaboration with creative life force energy, that ribbon of energetic vitality that runs through everything. So hi. This episode will focus on the energy, spirits, and magic of plant beings that human people refer to as weeds. As always, we'll make space now to center our human vessels with an invitation to ourselves and the non-human beings we might have specific relationships with. So let's share a deep breath. Blessings to all beings of land, sea, and sky, and welcome. Blessings to all well ancestors, both human, non-human, and more than human. Thank you, and you are most welcome here. And especially from me, Bree. Hello to Dandelion. You are most welcome here, celebrated and honored. Thank you for your medicine, your nourishment, your sense of fun, your resilience, and your beauty. I love you. Dandelions don't know whether they are a weed or a brilliance, but each seed can create a field of dandelions. We are invited to be that prolific and to return fertility to the soil around us. This quote is from Adrian Marie Brown's Emergence Speech, from the opening of the Allied Media Conference in 2013. Dandelion was my first entry into plant medicine on the material and spiritual levels. I was taking a class called Conscious Women's Leadership Intensive, facilitated by Angelique Arroyo. She recommended throughout the course of our work to be drinking dandelion root tea. I think this is because a lot of this class was about recognizing our cultural origins, recognizing any privileges that comes from those places, and making decisions about what we do or do not align with as related to our individual roots, those origins. And dandelion root helped immensely. I've since had hundreds of cups of roasted dandelion root tea but I can recall my feelings around having that first taste. New, smoky bitterness, but a really tasty bitterness that spread nourishment through my gut. I had had um, intense stomach pain throughout my childhood, and changing my diet once I moved out of my family home of origin really helped. Um, but I could really tell that something started to shift when I began drinking dandelion root tea. It was warm and also clearing energetically. I could, when drinking that tea, sit deeper into my own being. 
So much changed for me by simply making a practice of drinking dandelion tea. My younger self, that is my inner child, uh, immediately recognized this magic. Dandelion was my gateway into plant spirit medicine in the way that I could act on this awareness as an adult. I met many plants as a child that were impactful. I didn't understand what kind of relationships I was building at the time, but I knew I enjoyed planting things outside with my mom in our front yard. I knew that I liked to lie on the trampoline beneath two plum trees in the backyard and just stare up at the sky and be outside. The plants I met in the curated spaces of my childhood were snapdragon, lamb's ear, bleeding heart, and pansy. And I remember even taking a piece of a lamb's ear plant to show and tell in the second grade. And everyone got really frightened because I, they thought that I had actually the ear of a little lamb. Um, but no, that was the point of show and tell. It's a plant something from the botanical world that felt just as soft as an animal ear. I mostly remember these uh, curated plants because of their epic namesakes and dramatic textures and colors. I mean, imagine being about nine years old and looking at a bleeding heart plant. Um, imagine looking at the petals and um, the blooms of a snapdragon and you know, you can play with the head of a snapdragon with your fingers and pinch it and actually see the dragon face open and close their mouth. In the fields and wild spaces out by my grandparents' house, I remember playing with plantain. My grandfather actually showed me how to take the stem of a plantain and tie a loose knot around the um, bottom of it. And then you pull it really fast and it shoots the head of the plantain right off the tip of the stem, like a little pop, like a little popper. Um, I remember doing that, and I remember collecting wild violets, which were my grandma's favorite flowers and are still her favorite flowers. Um, and I collected Queen Anne's lace, and I played around with holding it around my neck like it was a collar, just, just, as, just as the namesake would you know, inspire a child to do. I tasted honeysuckle and was sent to pick blackberries for cobblers in the summer. The kind of blackberries that grow really small and sweet and a little tart on long vines beset with thorns. And I understood to pick slowly and respectfully. And in that time of my life, in the woods behind my grandma's house, I learned how to be wary of poison oak and poison ivy. That old rhyme, leaves of three, let them be. And somehow, in all my traipsing, I never picked up a rash from those sacred boundary keepers. In wild spaces, in urban parks, in my neighborhood lawns, I played with dandelion, too. Whenever I could, I'd collect the flowers or blow on the palms of white fluffy heads to watch them separate and catch the wind. I was chastised more than once for doing this because dandelions are weeds. I'd be blowing seeds all over the grass. Dandelions were not considered a pretty flower because of how prolific they are, 
marring an otherwise green lawn with persistent yellows and whites. But I never took dandelion into my body. I would not learn that all parts of this plant being are medicinal until I was 24 years old. Right now in my life, I do have a garden. I mainly grow food, especially tomatoes. I'm a little bit obsessed with vine-ripe tomatoes. I grow a little bit of medicine and plants that provide for pollinators. I also have a couple dye plants like indigo and uh, yarrow pulling double duty as medicinal and a dye plant. And so in my garden, I do pull weeds. I cultivate, I curate, I create space for the plants that I want to grow, and I remove the plants that are growing in those same spaces to give plants more room that I've chosen for that space. When we human beings grow anything intentionally, even in the metaphysical realm, we are immediately in a practice of paying attention. Who all is here? And in my garden I ask, who all is here besides myself and the plants I have asked to come and be here? I have to keep pulling ground ivy and crabgrass over and over. They are welcome to spread everywhere but in my tomato bed, and I don't want them to choke out the St. John's wort, which is also a low ground crawling spreader like the ground ivy. Glecoma heteracea, or ground ivy, is a source of pollen for several wild bees. The reason they spread prolifically in North America is because this plant was brought by English settlers as a prized medicinal and culinary herb, used to treat bronchitis, inflammation, even tinnitus in one instance uh, by one particular practitioner. Um, and it's also used to treat kidney issues. Ground ivy was used in a culinary sense, brewing ale, and as a substitute for animal rennet in cheese making. Ground ivy is particularly happy in the yard surrounding my home. I live in mountainous hills, and most of my yard is shaded by a really big tulip poplar. The moisture and shadow make a great spot for ground ivy to thrive. This is a common story of several weeds brought by settlers from places far away and thriving in a new ecological system that they weren't born from. I do encourage uh, anybody listening now to go and visit a nearby green space. See who is growing prolifically and do a little research. Who are they? How and why are they here? It's necessary to have boundaries in the garden. And it's necessary to have boundaries in ecology and systems out in the world. Um, there's a reason that this episode about weeds is following the episode um, prior to this one about invasive species. So it's necessary to have boundaries with plant people. But I also cultivate a love for weeds as they often truly belong in most places that we meet them, or they have found a way to find belonging. 
Over the course of my years paying attention to human attitudes toward the other than human, I've noticed a pattern. Human beings seem especially fearful of, judgmental toward, or indifferent, at the very um, least indifferent, to the well-being of non-humans that thrive directly alongside us. Uh, people like dandelions, rodents, spiders, possums, cockroaches, plants like common plantain, pokeweed, prickly wild lettuce, just to name a few. I theorize that these beings have particularly potent medicine for us humans in metaphorical or magical, sometimes literal material ways. I call it the medicine teacher in the taboo phenomenon. I'm not fixed on this title, so if anyone has any good quippy ideas for what to call this, please let me know. Uh, but for now, uh, the teacher in the taboo. I believe that dandelions, rats, etc. are especially good but not always flattering mirrors for human impact in relationships we have within our environments. And I don't necessarily mean environment, like at large. Possibly that too, but in this instance, I especially mean how we humans interact with others in the one or more five-mile radiuses we tend to frequent. The spaces in and around our home, our garden, our compost pile or lack of compost pile, the sidewalk from our bus stop to the corner shop, the walk from our car to work most days of the week. American naturalist John Burroughs wrote that one is tempted to say that the most human plants, after all, are the weeds, how they cling to man and follow him around the world and spring up wherever he sets his foot, how they crowd around his barns and dwellings and throng his garden and jostle and override each other in their strife to be near him. Pokeweed and crow, squirrels, rats, dandelions, and various bramble briars. Who do we meet in these very local environments? Who do we miss? How can we retrain our senses to notice and to acknowledge? So the next time that you're walking your same path as per your usual, who's there? What are their names? How do your senses perceive the changes in these spaces that you frequent, depending on time of day or season? And who are they, these weeds? In North American modern Western culture, I think we have a problem with dandelions because they are common and not rare. The typical human perspective does not often apply the sacred to the mundane. We have been practicing religions for hundreds of years that have worked to create and reinforce a false binary between sacred and mundane. Either the sacred is cut off from day-to-day -day life uh, it's cut off from the embodied and therefore impure, like in mainstream Christianity. And I'm talking about the false split between mind, spirit, and body. Um, or the sacred and spirit is cut out of the equation entirely in favor of empirical data, like in mainstream science and mainstream scientific studies. 
and then capitalistic culture has a problem assigning value to abundance. Dandelions are abundant. Scarcity is shiny. Value cannot be assigned to what is readily available because there would be nothing to strive for, no reason to be a worker, to earn, to consume, or if there are abundances of value. Capitalism creates an incentive to commodify that value until it is no longer abundant or accessible. Once upon a time, deep in a European past, the wealthy created curated gardens and lawns. It is European in origin, and aside from the areas of the commons, where villagers could graze their sheep or cattle, lawns were a sign of status and wealth. If you were able to afford enough hired hands to manually scythe and mow a close-cropped grassy area surrounding your estate, you were wealthy. And the American lawn as we know it came to be in the 1950s, directly akin to the creation of urban subdivisions or suburbs. This was the first time that homes were sold with lawns already in place before families moved in. Since then, an entire industry exists for the sole purpose of caring for lawn grass, and it is difficult for most Americans to imagine homes without lawns. I personally have never lived anywhere that doesn't have a lawn. I Granted, I've never lived in an apartment building, but um, even those spaces are very curated. So, yeah, it's difficult for most Americans to imagine homes without lawns. And most of the time, lawns and lawn care are not made available as a choice. We might buy or even rent a property that has a lawn, and then we have to make time and learn how to keep it up. I'm sure many of you listening are already a friend of the dandelion, of clover, plantain, mullein, or goldenrod. And so you might have heard that, currently, the grass lawn outnumbers other cultivated crops in the U.S. It even outnumbers crops like cotton. And I know many of you listening have already mentally, materially, and spiritually moved on from lawns, American dreams, associations with that, the things that lawns represent. I imagine that several of y'all with like minds also have a tough time with the advent and concept of private property, like I do. That's going to be a whole nother episode. Still, grass lawns, private property, and classism persists. And dandelion being who they are, ubiquitous, ever-blooming, literally, you can find dandelions through the winter. Ever-blooming, tenacious, exuberant, dandelions are caught in the crossfire. They're the first food for several pollinators each spring, as they are the first plants to show their floral parts to the new seasonal sun. They could be one of our first green fresh foods, too, if we humans could all collectively put down the roundup long enough to trust that tender young dandelion greens are safe to eat. Between chickweed, dandelion, and wild violets, you've got yourself a fresh spring mix salad for free from your own backyard. Heck, throw some ground ivy and a couple of wild onion sprigs in there for a bit of spice. Delicious. As Rachel Carson the author of the environmental classic Silent Spring wrote, Such plants are weeds only to those who make a business of selling and applying chemicals. 
My own grandparents and even one of my parents recall harvesting young pokeweed for food to make poke salad. Poke berries are poisonous to humans, and even the rest of the plant has to be harvested with much care and at the right time of year, at the right time of the plant's growth cycle, so as not to receive a stomach ache. But even just two generations ago, especially among rural and working-class people, foraging and making do with what was naturally abundant was the way to make a living. Weeds help us make a living. In fact, I recently learned um, through reading a book called The Spirited Kitchen by Carmen Spaniola that kale, as we know it now, actually grew abundantly in the yards of Scottish um, villagers and rural people, Scottish peasants, Um, so much so that actually the phrase, come and get your kale, was used as almost the same exact um, phrase as something like, come and have lunch. I mean, kale now is sold at large as one of like the main greens that people consume in the United States. I live in a very uh, small but neoliberal sort of city community in the mountains and I mean it's like Portlandia it's almost a joke how how common it is to make sure you get your kale Um, but it started out as a what people would consider a weed in Scottish yards weeds help us make a living they want us to make a living if we can imagine making a living beyond what's possible in terms of labor or goods in exchange for capital we would experience more closeness with natural cycles and seasons again, notice abundances and receive them without question. We would experience more ease and have a direct relationship with the sometimes literal fruits of our labor. And we'd have a more embodied experience of our sense of belonging as humans in the context of our place among all that is, an embodied experience of our belonging in our real localized landscape where we actually live. Yeah, big statements. I do try really hard not to lecture in this podcast, and then I have to laugh at myself for thinking about that because that's the nature of what it means to record a conversation with myself. Y'all have chosen to tune into a podcast written and hosted by a human with a soapbox tattooed on the ankle. Just going to be transparent about that. It is what it is. I can't believe it's taken me this long to get behind a microphone this way. I love weeds. I've always had a soft heart and a psychic attunement to the plants that grow in what are considered waste spaces. Once human industry has ripped through a soil ecosystem and decimated the nutrition there, here come the weeds to repopulate, to bring nitrogen from the air back into the earth, to welcome the green back into concrete. And what I hear from my dandelion friends is this. Beauty is everywhere. It's for everyone. Nourishment is a right of all beings. And as long as dandelions are everywhere, food is everywhere too. Human people have issues with trust, control, with separating ourselves from other beings. Weeds say, 
Welcome back, human, to your home in wilderness. We weeds belong here. So do you. Wilderness. Be more wild. Eat one wild thing every day. Weeds say to feel attached to your ecosystem. Nurture and earn your secure attachment with your ecosystem. Weeds are the gateway. An easy, honest, humble gateway to that magic of belonging in your own human wildness. Thank you all for tuning in and sharing your valuable time and attention here with Animist Activist Podcast. I thought that during this episode I would be exploring the human ideologies of control as that relates to our relationships with who we consider to be weeds. But as I wrote this out and planned what to share in this episode and did a little research, I found that what was coming through was more about celebration and recognition rather than unlearning the old spells of human dominance. Inherently, when we see weeds clearly for who they are, and we see ourselves as humans for who we are, that sense of dominance begins to fade. Weeds really do want us to make a living right alongside them. And an invocation to dandelion meant an invocation to abundance and joy. So that is what was honored here. So thanks again. If you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing via Substack at animistactivistpod.substack.com or leaving an honest review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you choose to listen there. It would mean a lot. And all that said, take care. Take your shoes off, dance with weeds, eat wild foods, and we'll talk again in a month. See you then.